0: Welcome to this podcast from Penrith Church of Christ. If there is anything in this message that you would like to talk about further, please go to our website, www.cofcpenrith.org. That's www.cofcpenrith.org. Now let's listen to Pastor Dave Crocker. Morning, Church. Wondering this morning if anyone here is... um ever heard of a porcupine. Yeah. I'm wondering if you've ever hugged one. You know, they're those little creatures with those um, sharp spikes or quills all over them. And in some areas of the United States, they're actually called a quill pig. The Germans, I believe, call them thorn swine and Africans call them iron pigs so they don't have very flattering names or descriptions and i i recently learned some interesting facts about the quills on the back of a porcupine these are uh, quills are uh, have backward facing barbs on them and when the porcupine is ready to attack these quills actually stand up and the way that they're positioned they actually penetrate the and the barbs act like little anchors that hold the quill in place and so it makes it really painful. And even once they've been removed from the skin, the pain lasts for a really long time. And I don't know if you know, but the porcupine also has the ability to bend its back and so it's able to attack from a number of different angles without losing ground or being subdued. They're feisty little characters, very difficult to come alongside and hug, and really, to be honest, I'm not sure I'd I'd want to try. I mean, why would you hug a porcupine when you can cuddle a cute and cuddly koala bear? And then we have skunks. Have you ever tried to squeeze or cuddle a skunk? They're those uh, delightful little creatures who have that uncanny ability to spray a liquid that sends out the foulest of odours. I love what a Jesuit priest wrote in his memoirs about an encounter with some skunks way back in 1634. This is what he had to say. I have met a low animal about the size of a little dog or cat. I mention it here not on account of its excellence but to make it a symbol of sin. At first glance you would say, especially when it walks, that it ought to be called a little dog. But it is so stinking and casts so foul an odour that it is unworthy of being called a dog. No sewer ever smelt so bad. It smells as if it comes from the pit of hell itself. Two were recently killed in our courtyard and for several days afterwards there was such a vile odour throughout our home, we thought we would expire. (laughs) I believe I have smelled sin. The skunks spray is actually a a mixture of chemicals that contain sulphur and they actually have the power to hit a target that's three metres away. Apparently, the smell is so bad that it can actually send a bear packing. And if you survive the smell, the actual spray can cause skin irritation and even temporary blindness. They also have some other weapons in their arsenal, and they can go through quite an elaborate routine of hissing and foot stamping and tail waving and baring their teeth and claws. So while they might appear to be cute and cuddly, they're quite nasty little packages, really. About now, you're probably wondering why on earth she is giving us a lesson on wildlife. (laughs) Over the past few weeks, Pastor Dave has been exploring the subjects of relationships and loving others. And I got to thinking that sometimes loving others can be a lot like hugging porcupines and squeezing skunks. It's easy to love people who love us, who think the same way that we do, who hold the same values, but I reckon we've all come across some porcupines and skunks in our time and heaven forbid that we ourselves have flared our own quills or done some hissing and foot stamping and tail waving of our own. So this morning if you're taking notes I'm going to call this message hugging porcupines and squeezing skunks it's a breeze isn't it to be kind to people who like you but to be truly patient and gentle towards someone who acts unloving or unbecoming takes it to a whole nother level it's a whole new ball game and yet it was a lifestyle that Jesus not only taught, but that he modelled. Jesus spent most of his time on earth with the not-so-popular people, the not-so-lovely. He touched the leper. He gave dignity to the prostitute. He welcomed children and the tax collectors and those whom society had rejected. His message was, love your enemies. He modelled upside-down living and loving, wondering This morning, do you know someone who is difficult to love? You know, the lady at church who might be gossiping, the lazy co-worker, the family member who knows how to push your buttons, the friend who betrayed you, the neighbour who parks his car on your grass, maybe even your mother-in-law. See, Jesus commands us not just to love the easy to love, but to hug the porcupines and squeeze the skunks, reaching out to those whose behaviour and demeanour usually pushes people away rather than draws them in close. Perhaps Jesus' toughest teaching is found in Mark twelve thirty one: to love your neighbour as yourself. You know, it seems easy enough until we really think about it. He didn't say like them or tolerate them. He said love them. And we we don't get to pick who our neighbour is because Jesus says it's everyone. It's everyone from the co-worker who steals your ideas at work and climbs over the top of you to make it to the top. It's the kid at school who gives you a hard time. It's that neighbour who insists on mowing their lawn at 7 o'clock every Saturday morning. And I'm wondering if we don't think sometimes that Jesus' expectations or unrealistic or too high. But this is the really cool thing about Jesus. You know, he he just wasn't God on high shouting down orders from above. He experienced what we experience. When he told us to live a certain way, it was coming from a guy who'd been there. Jesus lived on earth. He knew what it was like to do life beside people and he met a few skunks and porcupines in his time. But Jesus understood two fundamental truths and I believe we need to grasp them also if we're to have any hope of ever loving the porcupines and skunks in our lives. The first is that everyone is created in God's image. So if we are worthy of love, so is everyone else because of who made them. The second thing is that because of sin, we're all actually quite unlovable. On Friday night, Donna and I went to the movies to see Beauty and the Beast. And I, I love how simple but profound a fairy tale can be. Basically, it's the story of a poor peasant man who was stealing a flower from the the grounds of a huge castle that's inhabited by this hideous beast. And the beast catches him and says, I'm going to keep you as my prisoner forever. To cut a long story short, the peasant man's daughter, Belle, decides that she will save her father and give her life in exchange. And so she goes to live in this castle forever with this hideous beast. Now, unbeknown to everyone, this creature is actually a handsome prince who'd been turned into this beast by an old hag after he'd refused to let her in from the rain. And the only way that this curse could be broken was for him to find true love, despite the way he looked, despite his demeanour, and despite his ugliness. You see, he had to be loved as a beast before he could return to being a handsome young prince. And in the closing scenes, the beast lies dying from a wound that's been inflicted by his enemy, Gaston. And as he lays there dying, Belle confesses her undying love for him and she gives him a kiss right at the last minute that breaks the curse see, the moral of the story is that he had to be loved in all his ugliness before he could return to being a handsome young prince. And I see this principle in God's word. Romans 5.8 puts it this way. God demonstrates his love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us, the unlovely are deeply loved in order to become lovable. You see see the point that I'm making? The unlovely, that is us, needed to be deeply loved by God to become lovable through Jesus. And here's the thing. It's not that just we became lovable for our own sake, but we became love able, able to love others. Do you get that play on words? And here's why, because we who have been deeply loved are called to go and do what Jesus did. Jesus asks us, his followers, to reach out and love the unlovely. You know, right before he went back to heaven, Jesus' last words were to his disciples were that you will be my witnesses to the ends of the earth. Basically, he was saying, I'm going away now and I'm leaving the job with you. 2 Corinthians 5.20 says plainly, we're Christ's ambassadors, we're his representatives. We speak for him. Church, you know, when the world sees the Christ followers hugging the porcupines and squeezing the skunks, they will see Jesus. John 13.34 says this, and it's Jesus speaking, a new command I give you. Love one another, as I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know you are my disciples, if you love one another. Loving the unlovely, I believe, doesn't come naturally, but it can happen through the Holy Spirit working in us. It is natural to love people who are lovable, but it's the work of God in us to love the unlovable. We know that Jesus' entire life was characterised by a deep love for the unlovely. His heart broke for them. He made it his mission to intentionally seek them out. He gave dignity to the woman at the well. He honored Zacchaeus, the tax collector, by visiting his home. He reached out and touched the leper. He restored the paralyzed man. He loved the crazy man. Jesus' approach, though, was not to criticize and condemn, but it was to raise people up to be all that they were created to be. There's a fantastic paraphrase of Proverbs eleven twenty seven, and it says anyone can find the dirt in someone be the one that finds the gold and isn't that what Jesus did isn't that what he was all about I suspect it's probably easier for us to make allowances for those who are not in our inner circle Those who are a little removed from our daily lives, maybe those we even actually feel a little bit superior to. I reckon we probably can find it in us to love the leper and give dignity to the prostitute. But what if the unlovely live a little closer to home? What if they impact our world in a more personal way? John 13, 1 to 5, I believe, is where Jesus gives us the key to hugging the porcupines and squeezing the skunks who actually live a little closer to home. And I want to pause at this point to say, I tried my darndest to get out of this message. When we were doing the preaching roster, and Dave laid out the topics, and this topic came up and it fell to me. I said, I'm not, I'm not doing that. Get purse. Where's purse? Because I suck at this. I actually stink at this. I am not good at this. So what I want to share with you for the rest of my message is what God has taken me through in recent months this is a, a journey of revelation that God has poured into my life and I offer it to you this morning in humility and in the pain that it's caused me to work through in my own life I do not have it all together on this at all so I only speak now out of the revelation that that Jesus has given me and I do believe that when the skunks and the porcupines porcupines reside in our inner circle, in those we do life with, it changes everything. John 13, 1-5 says, Before the Passover celebration, Jesus knew that his hour had come to leave this world and return to his Father. He had loved his disciples during his ministry on earth and now he loved them to the very end. It was time for supper and the devil had already prompted Judas, son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. Jesus got up from the table, took off his robe, wrapped a towel around his waist and poured water into a basin. And then he began to wash the disciples' feet, drying them with the towel he had around him. It's the last supper, And Jesus is in a room with a bunch of guys who are about to betray him, deny him, and desert him. And what's more, he knew it. And these guys were his closest friends. They were the ones he'd done life with. They were his inner circle. They were his confidant, they were his family. And just as he is about to face the darkest hours of his life, these guys are going to cut and run. He's surrounded by a bunch of guys who don't deserve his love and care. Does anyone here know what I'm talking about this morning? But what does Jesus do? He washes their feet. Right here, Jesus shows us how to love those, truly love those who hurt and betray us. And it's not just to tolerate them. It's not just to pretend that we love them. How did Jesus demonstrate his love in that moment? He served them. And here's why, first of all, serving is not a a mushy, airy, fairy emotion, but it's an act of the will. And true love is demonstrated by action. It's the kind of action that Jesus demonstrated when he gave his life on the cross. And serving someone can have the effect of changing the way we see them. You see, if you're looking for a way to serve someone, it's it's hard to stay mad at them. It shifts your focus. You're looking not to blame, but to bless. And here's the thing. When we choose to serve others, it's actually Jesus we're serving. Quite often, the, the last thing we feel like doing is being a friend to those we consider unlovely. After all, we've got good reason to despise them. They've they've hurt us. They've betrayed us. They've exploited us. They've spread malicious gossip about us. They've ignored us. They've turned their back on us. They've excluded us from their social group or whatever the reason is, we just don't like them. But Jesus Calls us to love everybody. How, how do we do that? How do we love each other unconditionally? How do we love each other despite our differences? I think it comes down to one key thing. We need to remember that God loved us when we were unlovable. We need to grasp that the love that he so freely lavishes on us, the love that we're so quick to embrace for ourselves is the same kind of love that he expects us to bestow on one another. It's kind of like Christian living 101. Love how 1 John 4.9 puts it in the New Living Translation. God showed how much he loved us by sending his only son into the world, so that we might have eternal life through him. This is real love. It is not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as a sacrifice to take away our sins. Dear friends, since God loved us that much, we surely ought to love each other. Every one of us has the ability to be a sandpaper person, the ability to rub somebody else up the wrong way, because let's face it, we're all can be irritating. But the Bible says that since God loved us that much, we surely ought to love each other. And when did God start loving us? Was it after we'd worked out all the kinks in our own lives? Was it after we made ourselves presentable by getting our act together and doing a bunch of good deeds? No. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. You know, if we're going to wait until people have their act together, if we're going to wait until we think they deserve to be loved, then we're going to be in for a long wait. I believe God's plan to redeem the world has always been based on love. And a world that is watching is not gonna be persuaded by us banging on about our values, but when those values are made real by the way we act. You know, it's, it's as though Jesus has given the entire world the right to determine whether or not someone is a follower simply on the basis of how they treat their fellow human beings. And that's a very sobering thought. Ira Gillett was a well-known missionary in East Africa for many, many years. And on one of his visits home, he told his church family about an interesting experience he'd had. He'd noticed over the years how groups of Africans would walk past the government hospitals and travel many, many extra miles and hours to the missionary compound to get the same treatment. And he couldn't understand why they would walk so far out of their way to get what was the same treatment. And so he asked a group one day, "Why is it that you walk past the government-provided clinics and institutions and to get to the missionary compound for the same treatment?" And the reply was simple: The medicines may be the same, but the hands are different. Christ-like love is costly. It gets its hands dirty. It takes a chance. It goes out on a limb. Christ-like love makes a statement that leaves a legacy. Christ-like love does the unexpected and the surprising and the inspiring. And Christ-like love performs acts of sacrificial love that leaves impressions on people's souls. Now, I'm not saying that we should put ourselves in abusive situations and, and tolerate that or that we should be passive doormats. But Christ-like love inevitably carries a cost. There is a sacrifice because true love always costs. But after all, isn't that what Jesus modelled? I want to share with you six practical ways that God's laid on my heart, ways to learn to love the porcupines and squeeze the skunks. The first one is that we need to pray for our own heart. We need to ask God, to soften our heart towards the person, to put off anger and irritability and put on patience and gentleness and kindness. Second thing is that we need to pray for them. And when we're praying for people, we shift our focus from blaming them to wanting to bless them. And that changes everything. The third thing is, and this is tough, We need to move toward them, not away from them. You know, when we're confronted with porcupines and skunks, our natural tendency is to steer clear, it's to run away. Psychologists call it uh, flight mode. But in God's economy, these are the very situations where God says we need to intentionally move toward them in a spirit of reconciliation. Find ways to engage them in conversation. Meet them for a coffee. Send a text. It's not hard. Number four is look for specific ways to bless and encourage them. Encourage them. Uh, Find something to appreciate about them. Find that gold and not the dirt. Write them a note of encouragement or buy them a book that you found encouraging, but not one titled How to Be a Nicer Person. (laughs) Do a an act of random kindness. Fifth thing is extend grace to them just as God extends grace to you. No, God's grace is poured out for our own sins every day, isn't it? Ask God to help you forgive them as he has forgiven you. And number six, heaven forbid. Realise that we too could be the difficult person in someone else's life. You know, when I did my counselling degree, they said on the very first morning uh, that half of you will end up in counselling yourselves as a result of doing this course. <laughs> and it was true. And the thing is, that, you know, when we get completely honest with ourselves, we uncover some stuff we don't, we don't kind of like. But there is great value, and I speak from personal experience, there is great value in being completely honest with ourselves and doing a reality check on our own personalities and interactions with people. Ask God to reveal to you where you might have been the porcupine or skunk in someone else's life and do something about it. Worship team, you can come up. I want to share a story. This morning, some of you may may know this story. Many of us here would have heard of a wonderful Dutch woman named Corrie Ten Boom. Corrie and her father and sister Betsy were thrown into Ravensbrook concentration camp in World War II for hiding and rescuing the Jews. Corrie's father and sister died there, but she was released due to a clerical era, one week before all the women her age were gassed to death. And she made it her life mission for the next 40 odd years after the war to go around the world and to preach on love and forgiveness and grace and mercy. And I want to read to you this morning out of her diaries an experience that she had and it really touched my heart and Uh, really spoke volumes into my soul and this morning if nothing else I've said or shared has made any difference and I pray that this story will because it's it's real I wonder if you might close your eyes and you can then think the images that you've seen of concentration camps the pain and agony that those poor people went through these are the words of Corrie Ten Boom It was 1947 and I'd come from Holland to a defeated and broken Germany with the message that God forgives. And that's when I saw him working his way toward me. One moment I saw the overcoat and the brown hat. The next I saw a blue uniform and a cap with skull and crossbones on it. Then it came back with a rush, the huge room with its harsh overhead lights, the pathetic pile of dresses and shoes in the centre of the floor and the shame of having to walk naked past this man. I could see my sister's frail form ahead of me, ribs sticking out beneath her skin. The place was Ravensbrook and the man who was making his way toward me had been a guard there, one of the most cruel and hateful. And now he was in front of me with his hand thrust out. A fine message, Fraulein, how good it is to know that as you say all our sins are at the bottom of the sea. And I, who had spoken so glibly of forgiveness, fumbled in my pocket rather than take that hand. He would not remember me, of course. How could he remember one prisoner among thousands of women? but I remembered him. I was face to face with one of my captors and my blood seemed to freeze. You mentioned Ravensbrook in your talk, he was saying, I was a guard there. No, he, he did not remember me. But since that time he went on, I have become a Christian. I know that God has forgiven me for the cruel things I did there, but I would like to hear it from your lips as well, Fraulein. Again, the hand came out, will you forgive me? And I stood there. I whose sins had again and again been forgiven and I could not forgive. Betsy had died in that place. Could he erase her slow, terrible death simply for the asking? It could have been many seconds that he stood there, hand held out. But to me, it seemed like hours as I wrestled with the most difficult thing I have ever had to do. For I had to do it, I knew that. The message that God forgives has a prior condition, that we forgive those who have injured us. If you do not forgive men their trespasses, Jesus says, Neither will your Father in heaven forgive your trespasses. And still I stood there with coldness clutching my heart. But forgiveness is not an emotion. I knew that too. Forgiveness is an act of the will, and the will can function regardless of the temperature of the heart. Jesus, help me. I prayed silently. I can lift my hand. I can do that much. You supply the feeling. And so, woodenly, mechanically, I thrust out my hand into the one stretched out to me. And as I did, an incredible thing took place. The current started in my shoulder, it raced out my arm, and it sprang into our joined hands. And then this healing Warmth seemed to flood my whole being, bringing tears to my eyes. I forgive you, brother, I cried with all my heart. And for a long moment, we grasped each other's hands, the former guard and the former prisoner. And I had never known God's love so intensely as I did then. But even then, I realised it was not my love. I had tried and I did not have the power. It was the power of the Holy Spirit. Church, here's the bottom line. So love is to be like Jesus. And heaven knows our world desperately needs us to be like Jesus. Father God, we in your presence this morning. We've sung this morning so much about your love for us. The love that, that we grasp so willingly for ourselves and yet at times so selfishly withhold from others. Out of a sense of being wronged or injured or whatever the case may be. God, we think about your words that say, as much as you've done that for us, we surely ought to do that for others. God, help us to be uh, people who intentionally look for the unlovely, who intentionally look for the gold in someone, who seek not to criticise and condemn, but to raise up Jesus so that people can be all they were created to be in you. God, we come to you with our hearts open this morning. Reveal to us, God, where we've been a porcupine or a skunk. Help us to have the courage to do something about it, Jesus, because we know that our world desperately needs to see you. We ask these things in your name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Penrith Church of Christ. If there was anything in this message that you would like to talk further about, please go to our website on www.cofcpenrith.org. That's www.cofcpenrith.org.